Welcome back to the Jelly Bean Medicine Podcast. My name is Steph and I'm a final year medical student with a love for peds. Alongside the Bonn University Pediatric Club, we'll be giving you the rundown of all the high yield pediatric topics, all based from Australian guidelines. Let's get into our first topic for this week, which is meningitis. What is meningitis and why do we get so worried about it? Meningitis is a rare pediatric emergency. The thing that we're worried about the most is bacterial meningitis, and this can precipitate sepsis and death within hours. But let's just jump a step back a bit, and what are the differences between meningitis, encephalitis, and meningococcal disease? Meningitis is inflammation of the meninges. Encephalitis is inflammation of the brain parenchyma. Meningococcal disease is a bacterial infection of Neisseria meningitidis that can cause meningitis and sepsis. Let's take a look at the anatomy. So when we're talking about meningitis, so the inflammation of the meninges, we're talking about inflammation of the three layers of the membranes that covers our brain. These three layers are known as firstly the dura mater, so this is the outer layer that's closest to your skull. You next have your arachnoid mater, and this is the middle layer. And then you finally have your pia mater, and this is the inner layer, and that's closest to your brain. Now let's talk about meningitis. So meningitis is most common in children less than three years of age. And we can split the causes into bacterial and viral. The most common bacterial causes are strep pneumoniae, E. coli, and Neisseria meningitidis. In neonates, we can also see group B strep. Your most common viral organisms would be your enteroviruses, so your Coxsackie virus and your echovirus, and also herpes simplex virus. Patients who are immunocompromised or pregnant may also have listeria monocytogenes. There are a couple of risk factors to think about when a child presents with features of meningitis. These include sinofacial infections, such as otitis media, if they've been in recent contact with those with HSV cold sores or with bacterial meningitis, those who've had a penetrating head injury, those who are immunodeficient, and also children who are exposed to group B strep during birth. Let's have a think about the clinical features of meningitis. So classically, we learn the triad, so your fever, headache, and your nuchal rigidity. You may also see a meningococcal rash, which is non-blanching and purpuric. Similarly to sepsis, infants may present with non-specific findings. This can include irritability, fatigue, poor feeding, vomiting, and diarrhea. Children a bit older than neonates can have a headache, photophobia, nausea, and altered conscious status. You've been asked to do a physical examination of this child, so you're going to be looking at all the signs mentioned above, including neck stiffness, but there are also two signs that we can remember. So there's Koenig sign and Brzezinski sign. And these are signs of meningeal irritation. The way I remember Koenig sign is that it starts with a K, so it involves the knee. The knee and the hip are flexed to 90 degrees. And then when you extend the knee, this is painful or it's limited, indicating meningeal irritation. Brzezinski sign, on the other hand, is when passive flexion of the neck elicits involuntary flexing of the hip and knees, and this is a result to lessen the stretch on those inflamed meninges. We've done the history, examination, and so now it's time to move on to the investigations. For meningitis, it's quite simple. The main two investigations you need are bloods and a CSF. 
In terms of the bloods, the most important one first are blood cultures, and you would want to do this before initiating antibiotic therapy. You would also want to do blood cultures, especially if you can't do a lumbar puncture. For blood cultures, you would want to obtain two sets from different puncture sites. Other bloods to get are full blood count, chem 20, and also blood glucose. To diagnose the meningitis, you'd also want to do a lumbar puncture. This will tell you what is the cause of the meningitis, if it's bacterial or if it's viral. A lumbar puncture is also known as a spinal tap, and basically a needle is placed in the lower back to drain out the cerebrospinal fluid, so the CSF. The needle enters a sac below the actual spinal cord, so there's less risk to the child. So when might a lumbar puncture be contraindicated? These include focal neurological signs, signs of raised intracranial pressure, so Cushing sign, seizures or papilledema, reduced level of consciousness, hemodynamic instability, and respiratory compromise. You might also want to do a CT head, and indications for this would include encephalitis, focal neurological signs, and also signs of raised intracranial pressure, such as papilledema. You've just done your lumbar puncture and you've been asked to interpret the CSF. The way I like to think about it is breaking it down into the three causes of the meningitis. Could it be bacterial, viral, or fungal or TB meningitis? It's always important that when you're doing a CSF analysis that you always take bloods as well so you can do a CSF to blood ratio in terms of the glucose. So for bacterial meningitis, usually it would have a ratio of less than 0.4. For viral meningitis, this ratio will be normal and then for TB, it could be less than 0.3. An easy way to think about the CSF analysis is that your bacterial will have high amounts of protein and low amounts of glucose. And I like to think of it as the bacteria are eating up the glucose, and that's why there are less amounts of glucose. In terms of a viral CSF, it usually appears clear. There's less amounts of protein as compared to bacterial. Glucose may be normal. Gram stain will be normal. And you may find that the white cell count can actually also be normal. In terms of a fungal or a TB meningitis, the appearance can look like a fibrin web. Um, you can also have decreased amount of protein and also slightly decreased glucose. You might be thinking, what about a PCR? PCRs are routinely available for Neisseria meningitis, strep pneumonia, and HSV. However, an important thing to know is that these results are not immediately available, and so they're not actually helpful in terms of the immediate management of meningitis. In terms of management, bacterial meningitis is a medical emergency, and so after performing a lumbar puncture, give empiric antibiotics as soon as possible. On the other hand, viral meningitis usually resolves on its own, and you can get away with some supportive measures. Let's have a talk about which antibiotics to use. So if the child is less than two months, you want to be giving them benzyl penicillin and kefotaxine. If they're more than two months, you can give them keftriaxone or kefotaxime, and you'd also want to give them dexamethasone. The reason why we use dexamethasone in meningitis therapy is that studies have shown it actually decreases the rate of hearing loss and other neurologic complications in those with bacterial meningitis. You might also want to add a vancomycin if it's gram-positive cocci on the gram stain. If clinically you think this child might have meningitis, but a lumbar puncture is either contraindicated or delayed for more than 30 minutes, then administer empiric antibiotics IV. 
Just an exam tip, you don't want to give keftriaxone in patients who are less than a month as this can increase their risk of biliary sludging and conicterus. Conicterus is a neurological disorder caused by high bilirubin in the baby's blood. Remember that after giving empiric antibiotics, you can then give directed treatment after knowing the causative organism. If you're thinking this child might have encephalitis and it's caused by HSV, that's when you'll give acyclovir 20 milligrams per kilogram IV over 12 hours. When do you have to notify meningitis? All cases of Neisseria meningitidis and Haemophilus influenza type B should be notified to the health department immediately. Just two more things we're going to talk about, so complications and prevention. A life-threatening complication of meningitis is waterhouse Friderichsen syndrome. And that's basically where you have both DIC and acute adrenal gland insufficiency, and this is because of a hemorrhagic necrosis of adrenal glands. Lastly, onto the prevention of meningitis. So there are 13 known meningococcal serogroups, and the most common serogroups are A, B, C, W, and Y. In Australia, we have two meningococcal vaccines. So we have the MEN-ACWY and the MEN-B. So these target the common serogroups that can cause meningitis. In Australia, it's recommended to get the meningococcal vaccines at 12 months of age and then again at 15 to 19 years when you're in high school. Now onto the fun part of the episode where I get to quiz you on two questions on the topic we just covered. Our first question is you have a six-year-old girl who presented to the emergency department 40 minutes ago. She has a high fever, headache and nausea for the past four days. She's febrile at 39 degrees. Her heart rate is 130 beats per minute and her blood pressure is 165. On examination, neck flexion results in flexion of her knee and her hip. Examination of the pupils are equal and reactive to light and two sets of blood cultures are obtained. The first part of the question is what was the test that was performed on the child? So if we remember, it was neck flexion resulting in flexion of the knee and the hip. So this is Brzezinski sign testing for meningeal irritation. The second part of the question is a multiple choice question. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? A, CT of the head, B, MRI of the brain, C, antibiotics, D, lumbar puncture, or E, antiviral therapy. So the answer would be antibiotic therapy, so C. This patient arrived to the ED 40 minutes ago, so it's been over 30 minutes, meaning that the lumbar puncture has been delayed. The most important management here would be empiric antibiotics. The second question is, you have the CSF analysis of a patient with suspected meningitis. It has a clear appearance, the protein is less than 1, the glucose is normal, and the white cell count is less than 1,000. What is your most likely diagnosis and what is your next step in management? The most likely diagnosis is the viral meningitis, as the proteins are decreased and there is normal glucose. In this case, you would treat supportively, but if it was a viral encephalitis caused by possibly HSV, then you'd want to give them acyclovir. That's all we have time for today, but I hope you found this episode super helpful. If there's a topic you'd like covered, then please shoot us a message via our Instagram at Jellybean Medicine. We'll see you in our next episode on febrile seizures. 